I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Here's what you're gonna do, okay? You're gonna go back in there and you are gonna act like a handmaid. But the entire time, you will be plotting against them and planning your revenge. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye of me. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry for my actions. I was rude and ungrateful. Everything that happened was was my fault. And my fault alone. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams and when I'm not doing this, I'm Head of Curation at SBS On Demand and I'm joined once again by my colleagues, friends and fellow resistors. Natalie Hambly, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Haiti Island, channel manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of ABC Radio National's All in the Mind and a Canadian. A friendly one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that in. Sorry, Sana. Hello. <laughs> I will not hold a beaver placard saying get out in front of your faces today. <laughs> <laughs> so in case you can't tell, we've just watched episode eight of season five of The Handmaid's Tale. This season is going way too fast. Anyway, this one is called Motherland and it's written by Yalin Chang and directed by Natalia Late. June receives an extremely tempting offer from a surprise visitor. I can bring her to New Bethlehem. I can reunite you there. Meanwhile, Serena Joy finally hits rock bottom. Well, I appreciate the concern, but I promise you I'm doing fine. And begins a desperate search for allies. Do you have an irony deficiency? I don't give a damn. I'm not a handmaid. Any allies. What am I supposed to do now? Go back to the wheelers. And apparently we got a happy ending. Anyway, we'll get to that. Let's start with our usual uh, segment. Let's talk about what stood out. Let's go around the room. Sana, what stood out for you? I think what stood out for me this episode, I mean, lots, but I really appreciated that we zoomed out of the nitty gritty of our favorite characters' lives for a moment. I mean, we still got that, but we also understood and got a sense of where Gilead stands in relation to the rest of the world, what the strategy is going forward. I loved getting that big picture stuff out of this episode. So that's my standout. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, Natalie, how about you? What stood out? For me, I think um, it was the fact that we've seen something that we haven't really seen before, which is a glimpse at the future. Like June can now think about future plans. And I think all all these seasons she's been moment to moment, you know, survival. So now she's getting a chance and she's got some options on the table of what the future might look like. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of what would you do, what would you do kind of, um, you know, assessing, mm. yeah, choice. What a concept. Um, <laughs> Haiti, Haiti, what about you? Ooh, um, I might go with uh, seeing Lawrence get to do his thing a little bit in this episode and uh, there's a moment where he's 
telling uh, Nick that he he could have uh, both of his families living in New Bethlehem and, and wouldn't that be fun? And I had this flash in my head of a spin-off series set in New Bethlehem that's kind of like a, a family sitcom where Nick's juggling two families and two lovers and and that was fun. Yeah. So is June apparently. I yeah, everyone's that. living next door. It's a full house. <laughs> Love it. Look at the testaments. Let's get that spin-off happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who do I talk to? Exactly. And yeah, for me, probably connected to your son, it's it's kind of the real world geographical references in this episode. Um, mm. you know, there's name checking of Hong Kong and Singapore and Russia, you know, then and in this alternate present as well. Yeah, I, I kind of liked that kind of connecting it to the world that we live in, but, you know, this world adjacent, I guess. Yeah, it flexed a different mm. intellectual muscle this episode, I mm. felt, and I really liked that. Yeah, 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 same. All right, well, we open up with June cooking and her mind is in a flashback to Hannah, but um, outside there are protesters everywhere. They are driving by, they are making themselves known um, and, you know, they make the comment they're coming by more frequently now. Um, <laughs> there's a lot going on. I, I, you know, as our resident Canadian, Asana, what, <laughs> what's it like for you watching this Well, one? my first thought was that it looked a lot like the pictures we saw from the trucker convoy this earlier this year, which mm. was like this freedom convoy of people protesting against like COVID-19 mandates and vaccine mandates. So mm. I felt like some of those images were very familiar. But uh, it's it's funny because the, the Canadian flag and the symbolism around Canada, like the, the angry beaver placards they had, <laughs> a lot of it just feels so it's so lovely and harmless. Like it's hard to make Canadian symbols aggressive and nationalistic in this way to me. So I kind of had a little bit of a laugh, but Canada, you've changed. Mm. <laughs> You're going to get back there, so it's Mount Sana. <laughs> yes, exactly. But also it, it sort of peters off in the episode. Like I noticed kind of the ending is quite a nice Canada where she's running through the streets, not to jump totally forward, but, you know, the, the trip from that little convenience store Seems a nice, vibrant, multicultural Canada that she runs past. It seems that <laughs> the protesters. I did wonder kind of if that up. was College Street, Little Italy, downtown Toronto. Yeah, I think I think there's you know there's elements of this anti-immigration sentiment now, but it hasn't taken over Canada wholesale. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, there's noise in the house because Serena won't stop calling. She's calling June. She's calling. She has called Rita. Yeah, they're not picking up. <laughs> it's um yeah. Imagine so- calling Rita. Like, come on. Oh my god, it's <laughs> a step too far. Yeah, Rita's quite adamant that she's moved on with her life. We haven't seen what that looks like, but, um, yeah, she's, she's telling anyone who will listen um, and I think most of all Serena that she's she's <laughs> putting all that behind her. But th- there is this insight from last week, you know, it's not a matter of all's forgiven. It's just that I did something to ensure your baby didn't die because Luke's giving her a bit of grievance for saving her. <laughs> There's a bit of tension based around that. Was that a surprise for anyone in the room that, no, June's I don't think so. Tech. I feel like we kind of were, were talking about that last week around yeah. how June did the better thing, but that, you know, she and us as viewers didn't need to actually forgive Serena for the horrible things she'd done at the time. So this was kind of confirming, I think, what yeah. we, the impression that we got last episode. Yeah, it was good to get that verbalised from um, from June. <laughs> but then we get this glimpse at a housing estate on an island near Bethlehem, which is Joseph Lawrence's vision for the future, trying to undo all the work that he certainly put in to build Gilead. You know, he's giving the all the other commanders a walk a walkthrough of, of this vision. It's, they're like real estate agents. Um, and he's, he's trying to pitch to them. Can't we all agree, gentlemen, that it's embarrassing to be running a country 
from which people are constantly trying to escape. The other, who was that other commander again? I've forgotten his name. Yeah, I couldn't remember his name either. But yeah, Lawrence had two vocal sort of supporters in that group to start off with. It was Nick and that that other guy. Yes, who we say a lot. Yeah, but then there's other one who <laughs> who is against it until there's the the reference to Putnam, um, and mm-hmm. clearly this guy's a little uh, got something to hide. Maybe he doesn't want to get shot in the head of the country club. Um, (laughs) So that little reference brings him back on board. A modernised, strategically liberalised island. Is the way Lawrence puts it. I liked that. That commander who um, very quickly turned to to basically ask us, um, you know, after being reminded that Putnam A was dead and didn't have moral fortitude or whatever um, Nick said about him. Mm. That made me really interested to know what his deal was because clearly Putnam and Lawrence were kind of at the apex of this Boston group of commanders, right? Mm. And this mini purge has meant he's gone, but he would still have supporters around. But they're, they're starting to realize, actually, you know, they have to fall in line behind... Lawrence is is mm-hmm. the sort of sense you get from that interaction. So yeah. Lawrence is definitely on the up. But no, no, it does show. You know, that like in that locker room talk of a couple of weeks ago, when when Lawrence does say, and it's in the recap at the top of this episode, that you know the political ramifications are going to be strong, and you know he's clearly the beneficiary of it. But obviously, much wider political ramifications for Gilead if this new Bethlehem concept really does get up. I mean. They've commandeered the houses on the islands, uh, on this island, but the rationale is that the rest of Gilead won't know about it yet because there's no press, certainly no social media around Gilead. So they're trying to keep this a secret to bring some of the escapees back to mm-hmm. no handmaids, no hangings, etc. Like, sounds great if you can make it work. Great, except for the fact that child brides would still be, still be a factor there anyway. Yeah, and also it was interesting um, how he talked about it as like... Think of it as our Hong Kong. One country, two systems. Which, you know, if you think about Hong Kong right now, it's kind of going back to one system. So a lot of this made me think about how optimistic Lawrence was presenting this vision in, in many ways at various points throughout the episode. Like, I think at some point he said, you know, in five to ten years we'll have wider reforms... And I was like, first of all, that seems like a very optimistic timeline. Mm. And while you might have this phase of opening up um, and reform, countries do slide back. Like Gilead, he's, you know, Lawrence said Gilead's going to Gilead. And I feel like, mm. you know, there it, that would continue in wider ways as well. Like, I, I just don't know how feasible a lot of Lawrence's reforms are at this mm-hmm. point in time. Yeah, he's, he's like a real economic and political theorist and ideologist and optimist in a way like it's like he's shocked and you know you see a little bit of that in this episode in how his grand plans have played out in the in the Gilead that we've seen to date and yet Mm. here he is plotting away with more idealistic political and economical plans for the country assuming that it's all going to play out as he sees it in his mind where in the real world it's it's messy and it's anything but that and um yeah I did find myself having the same thoughts, Sana, like, really? Is it really yeah. going to play out like this, Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because things he said things got away from him last time. Who's Absolutely. to say they won't again? Mm-hmm. And Tuello's line later on where he says... <sighs> Even if Lawrence is a Gorbachev trying to open the country up, he'll be succeeded by Putin's. Is like, I'm more on Tuello's side in, in his thinking about all this. That's exactly where my head's at. So I understand Luke's scepticism later in the show about June going back in. 
I don't trust any of it. <laughs> well, I guess like my takeaway from that though was that um, like that village didn't get built on its own, you know, and, um, and, and Lawrence clearly has a group of moderates in there. Like all the commanders that we've seen have only been fully conservative and really in that sort of horrifying element of Gilead. But clearly there is a whole bunch of other commanders who do not want to go that far. And I think maybe what's interesting about that now is that Gilead's been going on for quite a while. And if we think of Warren Putnam as an example of someone who lost his arm and then lost his life, and there are there are lots of guys hanging on the wall as well. So Gilead does punish men as well. So I am wondering if like he's able to get some supporters within their hierarchy because they don't want to be punished either. You know, kind of kind of Gilead's gone too far for them as well. So mm-hmm. Lawrence now has a lot of power, and that show they put on with killing Warren Putnam clearly has um, is doing great things for him, and there must be a whole bunch of moderates in there as well who are willing to support this. So I can kind of see why he would be optimistic. You know, clearly he's getting some groundswell of support. Mm, mm. But he also needs to for his own moral conscience, as he said later. You know, he needs to be optimistic because it's either this or he's going to kill himself. Yes, well, much more to unpack uh, as the episode progresses. Let's put a pin in that one and head to the detention centre with Serena expressing up against the wall, doing her takeaway bottles for guess who? Alanis. She's back. (laughs) She's got a mitts on, Noah. Yeah, how? How the hell did this happen that they end up fostering Noah and that anyone allows this? Like, how did Canada immigration, I don't know, whatever, allow it? I mean, Serena doesn't have much sway, but I just don't understand how this happened. I'm very confused. Got to be some handshakes behind closed doors, you know, feeding into this. There's no no way the Wheelers would have gotten that baby through, like, the normal social service child protection system in Canada, surely. Surely. But but someone, someone remarks that they have legal status to to see well, like, you know, oversee his yeah exactly so it's gone through proper channels somehow but yes maybe some you know yeah. hands shaking in the background for I it i assume that um lawrence made it happen do we think that lawrence made it happen oh mm. Mm. what lawrence made idea. happen is to get serena back in their house but yeah i don't know if maybe more he made the yeah. baby happen well the fact that serena did relinquish any right to canadian citizenship and does Noah follow in that? He was born in no man's land, so I guess That's he, true. he's not a citizen of anywhere. <laughs> I yeah. Don't know. We might need to. Uh, there was a lawyer in our Twitter feed last year. Unpack how Noah ended up with yeah. the wheelers for us, Come please. Back. <laughs> Use a <the> hashtag. Um, <laughs> yes. So, anyway. What she's... a delicious turn of events, though, you know, no matter how it happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Logistics. Schmagistics will like, yeah, she, the point is she's got her and she cares not for Ezra. <laughs> She'd be like, eh, he'll live. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's very much, you know, look after yourself, Serena. Take, we've got we've got Noah. Um, hormones make you crazy. Uh, get yourself together. But the cry it out method. Yes. For little one-month-old Noah. A one-month-old. That's way too early for crying it out. The poor baby needs cuddles. And also, I mean, I feel like... What is wrong with Gilead mothers? They just fail to understand the fundamentals of <laughs> how to be a mother. Like that child at this age needs, yeah, affection and cuddles and love and not crying yeah. it out alone in a cot. Yeah. What is with them? And that was the same with little baby Charlotte slash yeah. Angela. Yeah. Needed Janine to actually give her some cuddles. Uh, I don't know. Because they're terrible people. They they're are, they're terrible truly are terrible people. people. Yes. But like- <laughs> 
<laughs> Terrible people hug Don't a baby. Think it, guys. <laughs> Just awful. <laughs> Fair point. And she's lecturing Serena about mental toughness, uh, which mm. I thought was pretty good. Yeah, but then Serena reflecting on. I have overthrown a country and I have, against all odds, given birth to a very healthy baby. And not once have I lacked for mental toughness. But um, that's dismissed as sentimentality. Maybe you're in here. And I'm not. And I'm not. Just classic, classic lines. Uh, classic expressions too. Thanks, Alanis. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> I kind of I kind of loved how specific they went. Like the fact that when we first see Serena, she's pumping milk, which honestly for me was such a misery. You know, oh, it was yeah. just like, oh, yeah. just the sound of that machine. Yeah. And you just got to like sit trapped in a chair and it was just awful. And I just, and then, and then to have that followed up with the, cried out method and I was just like oh like they're really they're really nailing all of these issues that like new mums go through and all like all the worst ones you know and and pack it up in a detention center as well (laughs) exactly misery layered on misery totally you know yellow is the new orange is the new black kind of and and handy go for the milk and Alanis hates it oh my gosh yeah yeah Alanis is grossed out by the milk Yeah, all the delicious touches. Yes, and so from there they're cleaning up some graffiti on the sidewalk and Luke is contemplating leaving. Go where? I don't know. Alaska, Hawaii, I don't know, Europe. June, of course, says that would be further away from Hannah. From so yeah, leaving I, you know. and relocation is, is much on everyone's minds. And then who do you know calls but Lawrence. Hello. Lovely weather in Toronto this time of year. Get a minute. With a delicious offer, tempting offer, weird offer. And so he and June take a walk. It's in this scene, you can see Bradley Whitford, you know, uh, the references about, you know, the slave owning founding fathers. It, it's seeing them come out of Bradley Whitford's mouth, knowing, you know, his politics and his Twitter feed. And he's, he's very, very um, like it's classic line delivery here about the hypocrisy at the root of, you know, these ideas about freedom for all. Yeah, so, some classic writing in this scene that I really enjoyed. And also his, his line about sort of America and its ideals collapsing under the weight of like rampant consumerism and late capitalism. I was yep. like, are you talking about right now? <laughs> what, what point in time are we speaking about at the moment? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, look around, I think is the, the message. Um, and this is where he's saying, you know, unfortunately he had to use the religious nut jobs mm. in order to get this plan together to save humanity, no less. But he underestimated their depravity. Didn't he? Yes. Did he ever. That's quite the fail. Yeah, yeah, epic fail, Lawrence. But now that, you know, some families in Gilead are starting to have babies again, Gilead can afford to open up a little. But, yeah, here's where he's making this pitch to June, making it sound great but for the fact that uh, 12-year-olds are still being groomed for marriage. And he does make the weird comment he's been grooming Nick not sexually. <laughs> Not sexually. <laughs> Which, yes. thanks for the clarification. I needed that. Um. Immediately start thinking, has he been grooming him sexually? Anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, he's saying, you know, Nick could, could have your back. He's always had your back. Wink, wink. He's really putting the sales pitch on, isn't he? Mm. Um, but for me that was just um, he's a very kind of a desperate man at the moment, isn't he? And I think for multiple reasons course politically but also just I think emotionally like he just needs this he needs this to work like he really needs New Bethlehem to be this thing that's going to I think save the way he feels about himself Mm. 
So, yeah, so the pitch to June is strong. It is strong. Yeah, he's clearly wrestling with his conscience. It comes out more and more across this episode. And there's pitching coming from everywhere, really. You know, um, Tuello's pitching June. He doesn't quite have it down pat. He hasn't quite worked out that, that you need a bit of a transactional <laughs> you need to give to get take. <laughs> that drove me so crazy, actually, because I've actually been feeling bad about Tuello this season because June and Luke are always kind of treating him kind of badly and, you know, what's he doing here again and get out of my yeah. house and what have, you, what have you done? Nothing, you know, and I'm just like, geez, <laughs> like I kind of like the guy, except for this episode mm. where he actually drove me crazy because... It felt like um, just similar to how Alanis was treating Serena and saying that she, you know, was just being emotional. I, f- I feel like he's also Twella's being sexist with June and just expecting her to be the good woman who just does the right thing for everybody else. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 like she's got her own needs and you are not meeting her halfway, you know, and so she's had to make sure that she stands her own ground to get what she needs out of this. Yeah. So, so it's a bit infuriating, I think, on his part that all the pressure that he's putting on her, like the pressure of the of the whole country basically is now <laughs> resting on June. Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'll think about it. Speaking of pressure, when, when June goes back home to tell Luke about Lawrence's plan that they go live in Gilead, uh, I love his, his responses. Yeah. No. We're not going to go and... Live in Gilead. <laughs> We're not going to go and live in Gilead. Yes, I, I liked the way this this one was framed. Like them looking into the darkness, the light behind them on that couch, where so much has happened. She's ma- she made that first call to Lawrence there from that from that couch, didn't she? Mm. And mentioning Tuello, he does bring up you know saving democracy, country later. And here is where June's saying she's rabbiting Lawrence to Luke about. He, he's going to use this to get them admitted to the UN. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, all these details that he doesn't care about and she certainly doesn't care about either when um, Willow makes his pitch. That It's kind of like distracting. They care about Hannah. She cares about Hannah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just superfluous detail. That That's your problem. <laughs> that's a you problem. But, yeah, so Luke clearly is not on board with the idea of packing up and moving into a little three-bedroom <laughs> upstairs, whatever, in, in New Bethlehem. Wasn't it um, interesting to see the two of them at odds because so far this season they've been really coming together nicely. Yes. You know, mm. um, it felt like their relationship was getting back on board. And now, wow, like things got things got tense. Yeah. Uh, things were said you I can't think, take back. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it actually. I think that might be like the most shocking part of the whole episode for me was when she accused him of basically doing nothing to get Hannah back for like the last few years. Like that was oof. Like, oh. yeah. <sighs> that was it. That connected. It was the same line that Serena used on him basically of the mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, little bit of murder in there and oof. And he also kind of, he feels a sense of that himself, right? Yeah. You see that in his response mm. to each of those statements. He's he's struggling with feeling like he's done nothing for seven years as well. So these are, these are landing really, you know, where it hurts. Yeah, yeah, that connected. And like insight that it's been seven years. So that, that gives us the timeline of when June was captured and he fled, obviously. So the start of the show, seven years ago. And that's how Hannah is 12. <laughs> Maths. Anyway, um... Then in this scene, that this is where um, he also, this is leading up to the big fight later, but, you know, saying... I promise you, you're letting your emotions cloud your judgment. <laughs> cloud your judgment. Oh, my God. Again. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Um, just let me just protect, let me protect you, you sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Please. I, I, that was the other killer line yeah. from her was like, um, was, um, was that in this scene or was that later where she said, I, I do not need your protection? Was Hannah does. One. And I just, yeah, and I was just like, oh, that was like the other big line for yeah. me actually because mm. yeah. she has been trying to let him be that guy and we've seen how that's gone the last two episodes where sort of she's taken a back seat and let him sort of take the lead in going into Gilead and or going into No Man's Land or wherever they went <laughs> and not really properly appreciating the expertise that she has and now she just finally just like just like states it outright I don't need your protection mm-hmm. I'm like no she doesn't so yeah this episode for the two of them <laughs> yeah I'm a little bit sad about how Luke is being portrayed this season or how he's coming across he's a, it's a little bit pathetic right but he I, I love this character and I he's such a good character and I I don't find him pathetic but he's definitely expressing some things a little bit annoyingly, like let me be your protector and, and all of that kind of rubbish. Um, these ideas about masculinity that he's still holding on to. I feel like he should know better. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit, I'm like, come on, Luke, we know you can do better than that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he, he's like a coiled spring. Like he's just been like in this kind of suspended tension, hoping and, you know, for, for seven years. Um, and now he's <laughs> that spring is uncoiled and he's doing things yeah. that just are not working and are risking yeah. his relationship with June. And, yeah, he's he's trying but not not in a way that's helpful. Yeah, he's clutching at straws. He's searching for a way to be and a way to function and a way to help, but it's yeah. not landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's always been like that though because I remember there's, there's like a, a scene that's stuck in my mind from one of the early seasons where there's a flashback to before Gilead times when – June needs Luke to sign a prescription for medicine or something like that and she's really annoyed by it and he can't see why Mm. there's an issue Uh, and and, uh, that scene always kind of stuck with me as um, something that kind of touched on how their relationship works and I think that is a through line in how Luke still behaves today and he hasn't, you know, he still kind of has that, oh, just let me be your protector. What what does it matter if your rights are carved away a little bit, if it's me protecting you? Because it's me and I love you and, you know, Mm. um, I have your best interests at at heart. Yeah. Oh, good. Well well intentioned, but doesn't quite get it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So what's actually his plan? So he's like in his ideal world, he and June and Maybe Nicole just moved to Hawaii. But what about <laughs> Hannah? You know, like is he just relying on Twello and their amazing plans to get her out one day or is he just giving up? Like what are we meant to take away from that? Yeah, I don't think it's giving up. But I think you're right, yeah, like he, he's got faith in the system still yeah. that somehow they'll come through. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he got the USB, he got the USB to him so he thinks that something will come of that other than They'll use it for military information, not anything helpful to their cause. Yeah, it's a curious one. Um, just On what you said then, Haiti, that's a great callback to that episode way back when. Mm. A little bit Lawrence-y in that like, he's, he's kind of like whatever it takes to get it done, good intentions but fall by the wayside. I don't know. Mm. Mm. But I, think, I feel like, oh, look, I'm kind of reluctant to bring in real-world politics but that is something that we have seen even sitting in Australia. I have seen this sort of play out in America over the last few years like I remember there were so many women who were 
calling out for a fear of their loss of rights like five years ago yeah. and they kind of weren't believed and, um, oh, that's never going to happen, you know, Roe versus yeah. Wade is never going to get revoked. And there were just so many guys, you know, that just sort of really didn't see it and thought that everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding sort of interesting now is seeing some of those guys say, oh, my God, we were, we were, we were actually wrong, you know, like mm. having that sort of full mea culpa. Yeah. So we have seen this play out and apparently like after Trump was elected, lots of relationships broke down, like lots of couples and marriages broke up because they were quite surprised at what their husband's views were. Yeah. So, yeah, so it is kind of fascinating to see that echoing a little bit with mm. June and Luke, which is not where I expected to see it, to be honest. I thought I really thought that they were a solid unit this season. Mm. Yeah, I was waiting for in that exchange about the just let me protect you, etc. I was I was waiting for a calm down. <laughs> like I thought you might have told <laughs> it to calm down. It might as well have. It kind of had the same effect. But, uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, don't say it, don't say it. I feel like what he was saying to her about her emotions essentially getting the best of her, he was really just describing himself in that moment too. Like his panic and his fear of her going back is like overriding how he's how he's communicating with her. Like he's saying it in the worst possible terms because he's just so overwhelmed with panic and his emotions. Mm. He felt like he was just describing himself really. Yeah. And isn't it funny that's the exact same way that Alanis is dealing with Serena, like telling her, your emotions are getting the better of you. Let me take <laughs> Noah. <laughs> Oh la la, it's all over the place. Natalie, you asked a moment ago, like, what's Luke's plan? Like, what what is he actually thinking? I'm kind of wondering that with June as well. I was, you know, the whole time when she was thinking of going back to, to New Bethlehem and going back into Gilead, I was, like I said earlier, I was like, how is this actually going to work? You have no guarantee of your safety. You don't know how things are going to change. Who knows? Someone might bump Lawrence off in the next year or two. Like, Mm. this is reckless in a sense. Like, how are you really going to save Hannah and get close enough to Hannah to help her by going back? I don't know. The the whole thing just kind of doesn't quite Look, I was <laughs> stack up to me. Thinking the same thing and, yeah. and I think and where I sort of landed on that was like she's already been through hell. She's already been through the worst. It's almost like at this point, what else can Gilead throw at her? Mm-hmm. Like, and she's being offered Gilead light. And like she she survived the full-on Gilead. So mm-hmm. Gilead Light's gonna be a walk in the park, you know? <laughs> but like for me, for the two of them, what I find where I'm landing on them is that like Luke is still hoping for a happy life and hoping to put some shreds together so to make you know to to build something that could resemble happiness and I just think that um June has not thought that and happiness for her is going to be getting her daughter back and and until then the rest doesn't really exist you know so they really are going down two different paths and every decision that she's being given this episode it's all either or Mm. it's like Luke or Nick, even like Hannah or Nicole. So it sounds like if she goes to Gilead, she'll potentially be going on her, or sorry, New Bethlehem, she'll be going on her own. And where is Nicole? So it's risky enough that they won't take Nicole with her. But then what happens Mm. to Nicole? Well, it sounds like Luke would stay back with Nicole, if I mean, okay, by the end of the episode, obviously, this is not what's happening. They're waiting for <laughs> the Americans to to do a raid in Gilead. But at mm. this point in time, yeah. it sounds like, yeah, Luke would stay back with Nicole and, and she would go in alone, which is absolutely, if she's going to go in alone, that's exactly how it has to be. You could not take Nicole in. That would mm-hmm. be insane. You know, there's just no guarantee for her safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, playing out all the hypotheticals, that certainly sounds the way that it would go. But... We're back to the detention centre. 
Serena and Joseph. She's receiving everyone this episode in uh, in that <laughs> detention center. And he says she's making a lot of demands for someone who's caused so much trouble. That feels like a callback to a line that was said to June somewhere in this series, somewhere along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Every other episode, probably. She says, are you getting me out of here? Little does she know. Yeah, she he is. Alas, it's back to the wheelers. <laughs> You're a smart woman, so you know why Gilead needs a picture of our heralded new mother living in a harmonious household led by a wealthy couple in a gorgeous mansion. You don't understand. They are trying to steal Noah from me. Well, that'd be hard to do while he's attached to your breasts, which is the only reason they're letting you back is to nurse him and reduce the crying, and now I'm done talking about your breasts. And he's asking where her maternal instinct is. Ooh, harsh. Mm. Then the line is... She's not going to live in the same house as her child's kidnappers. And he says... Do you have an irony deficiency? Nice one. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting. She is choosing herself here in this moment over being with Noah. You know, she's choosing what it would mean for her position. She's making a selfish choice in this moment. How do you mean? So in this scene, she says, no, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go live in a house with my child's kidnappers. She doesn't want to be in the position of the handmaid. And so she says, no, I'm not going to do it. That's where that sort of scene leaves it. And that, in a sense, is the selfish choice because she's thinking about her own position rather than being there present for Noah. I mean, that changes by the end of the episode, but here Mm. she chose herself. Mm. I think assuming that maybe he'd get Noah back for her too, though, maybe? Yes, but not too... but not immediately. Like, yeah. you know, if she really wants to be with Noah, go there ASAP. True. The thing. Yeah, I got the impression she was just holding out for a better deal and hoping that if she could hold out a little bit longer, then she might end up in a, in a situation that was even better for her and Noah. Just on the, the point about her making a selfish choice in that moment, choosing her own position and herself over going back to Noah, it takes June coming to visit her and saying, I would go back. You can't, you know, help your child if you're not with them. For her, Serena, to decide to, okay, I guess I better go back, <laughs> whether or not I'm going to have to act like a handmaid. Yeah. And I think they both make their decision in that scene. You know, June mm. says it to Serena. Yeah, but, June's- know, we're not talking about Noah. <laughs> so- yeah, June's speaking about herself there for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's go to that scene. Like it's a couple ahead, but there's a lot of what would you do if you were me? June asks it to Rita mm. and then then Serena's asking it to June. You know, she's not showing that mental toughness that she swore she had to, to Alanis here. She's trying to get feedback from June about how she survived in Serena's own household to get some tips. How can she go back into a house when with a woman who's wanting to steal your baby. <laughs> Again, the irony um, is just too much to bear in this one. But for me, this is the scene where June wins, yes. you know, like this is the moment, this is like the moment that we've been waiting for for all of these seasons because last week we got an apology from Serena. I think she had multiple apologies that episode actually, like it mm. opened with an apology, but an apology is never enough. And this time around she was pretty much on her hands and knees, you know, like begging, begging for help and advice. The fact that she's ringing multiple times and then when June visits her, it's like asking for advice on um, how did you do it and what is your what is your advice for me? Like that is really, Serena was never going to have the fate that Fred had, but just the fact that June got to deliver that line, like look at where Fred is mm-hmm. and look at where you are. And yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, she won. <laughs> you know, we don't even need to. Like, to see Serena as a handmaid, it's like for June. For June, okay, this is what I find interesting. For June, 
her relationship with Serena now is kind of done. And uh, I am curious to see, because we know just as sure as the sun will rise, the two of them will cross paths again. But for right <laughs> mm. now, I feel that like they have no need to ever see each other ever again. Like for me, mm. that moment means their relationship is over. So I do wonder how the show is going to bring them back together again. Mm. I think Because this episode just gave me so much of what I've wanted for so long, which is... June triumphing over Serena and finally getting an insight into Lawrence's brain, you know, and getting the full Mia yes. Culpa from him as, as, yes. as well. Yeah. Um, and getting so much information on, you know, how does this, how does this, how does this country actually work and how is this fitting in with the rest of the world? So we got, we got so much in this episode. Yeah. It's a meaty one. Yeah. I feel like we always had a sense of his guilt a little bit, but we weren't completely mm. sure where he fell on the creation yeah. of mm. Gilead. It was so satisfying to finally hear what he really felt. But, and that's yeah. happened so much this season where we finally, you know, talked about it before. People are cutting to the chase and saying, calling a spade a spade and just saying what they mean now. And yeah, that scene, it was nice to know that he feels really guilty, you know, like actually mm, probably yes. it weighs yeah. on him deeply because it should. He yeah. did a fucked up thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because it is coming off the back of the in, um, encounter with Serena, you know, June to the flip phone and she she calls him up and then heads straight to that information center that he's based at uh, for his uh, for his little trip across the border. One thing on the nature of the allies here. Remember the whole season 3 was trying to get Lawrence um, as an ally or trying to work out was he an ally. But here in an early conversation with Luke, she calls him a friend and Luke challenges her on that, you know, Lawrence the Nazi he calls him, but she actually calls mm. him a friend. And then in the scene with Serena, June makes it clear that we are not friends, Serena. I was just curious, would Lawrence consider June a friend <laughs> in the same way that um, that she does? I was actually imagining mm. Lawrence would say the same thing to her, which is we are not friends. Exactly, June. yeah. And Tuella was very much trying to tell her that Lawrence can't be trusted, that he doesn't have her best interest at heart, which is interesting because, yeah, they are not friends. And just like June can't be friends with Serena, June can't be friends with Lawrence either. I, I so loved that Luke um, called that out and said, Lawrence, a Nazi. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 I feel like his, his political pragmatism would always win out over Mm -hmm. a friendship, you know, if push came to shove. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in this, in that scene where he's making the pitch to really revise his legacy and like, you know, kind of lift the burden that he's carrying, um, you know, he's saying, help me fix it. (laughs) It'll make more of a difference than Mayday or Gilead ever will. But yeah, he's like, come help me fix it. It's not. It does sound like, like he's trying to make everyone's hopes and dreams come true because <laughs> he is because he's given Nick a promotion, right? Like yeah. so, so Nick is now being promoted and offered to live in this new fantasy land, and he's dangling that carrot in front of Nick of that basically June will come back and you're going to get Nicole as well. You'll get to live in this nice neighborhood with like your two children, and then he's also offering June's dream. And I do think. There actually is a part of Lawrence that wants to make that happen for them, you know, that Mm. maybe he thinks that will mean more than it actually will, you know. But um, as much as he isn't a friend, there is a part of him that is trying to help, if I can be so optimistic as to say that. Yeah. I think June is the closest thing he has to a friend. Like, I I think if if he's got any friends at all, it'd be the closest one. Yeah, would be be June. I I feel like he genuinely does care about her fate. Like, he helped her get out. He has, like June said, put himself on the line previously before. And I feel like I don't think he would have opened up to the degree that he did and laid out the guilt on his moral conscience if he wasn't confiding in someone he cared about and considered a friend in a sense. 
I don't know. Am I being too generous here? I, I like, I don't know. I feel like at this point in time, from what he said, he wants to not just use people. I mean, he does want to use people, but mm. not just have horrible things happen to the people around him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because like, I don't think he has any, I don't think he has any friends. I don't think he's the kind of guy that has anyone who he, who he rings on their birthday. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I just can't see that for him. But that said, I do think that he wants to do something nice. Yeah. To absolve his guilt. He wants to you know, help in some way now. Yeah. That's not entirely altruistic, but yeah, it, like it is about his guilt ultimately, his, his regret yes. at, at yeah. having this lofty ambition to save humanity, which he takes credit for, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. that, you know, has gone awry because of terrible people doing terrible things um, and he wants to get it back on track in a way that will work. But, again, he's being pragmatic and Hannah won't have a great future, but Nicole will and, you know, give it time and, like, yeah. it's, it's the least worst option that we've got. So yeah. get behind it and help me fix it. <laughs> I do find it a little bit hard to swallow that his his proposition to June is come back and live in Gilead and that's the best deal I can offer for you and <laughs> Hannah, not I'm going to use my powerful wheeling and dealings to somehow stop Hannah from being married off. Like that's that to true. me seems like the better option. Yeah, or yeah. getting Hannah out somehow, you know, really put yourself on the line and get her out. But getting June as the poster child for New Bethlehem is very politically advantageous for him. So that's the route he's going down. So whenever he's mm. helping June, there's always something in it for him. It's not necessarily like her interests are secondary to his. Yeah, that that's a, a bonus. I mean, he's mm, yeah. he's envisioning him standing behind the podium at the UN the day that you know, United States is crumbles entirely. Little little America is no more, and Gilead's in the UN. Like you know, that that's in his sights. Um, and yeah, like the way he pitches it, there is no bright side to having your twelve year old married off to a child rapist. And that his pitch in that in that scene is just is wrong. <laughs> but look, Sandra, I do agree. If anyone was going to turn him and make him do it like a, a wholly altruistic thing, it would probably be June. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's in this scene again, she's challenging him to do something, like she's challenging Luke to do something and challenging Twillow. So, yeah, you know, she's she's being forced to do something but, yeah, trying to make all the men in her life actually put up or shut up really. We've skipped over a couple of scenes but I'll just I'll just recap them. There's the beautiful scene where Nicole can't sleep and she sings the Velvet Underground song oh, to her. That. Yeah, no, I'll Be Your beautiful. Mirror because there's so much mirroring across this <laughs> across this episode and across this series. It was a nice, um, beautiful song and scene with Luke looking on and then, of course, she wakes up and Willow's there talking about the whole lot of nothing that he got from the USB that they risked their lives for. And then she does some gardening, pondering in the garden bed, <laughs> looking up, thinking of Hannah, looking at the moon, mirrored later. And then clearly it's Joseph that drops off the video, right, or the, the video oh, of yeah. Hannah. I actually didn't stop to think about who who did send that video, but probably Joseph, yeah. He, he referenced a proof of life. I think that was a, just that little clip of Hannah doing a double take, <laughs> seeing herself filmed, um, yeah, that they keep replaying over and over and over. My thoughts on Hannah at the moment, and you know that she's always kind of been so important for me. Um, She's always that one character that I want to see. And I'm finally, like finally getting to the point where like I really need to see more of her. She's kind of essentially like a plot device. She's not Mm. really a character, you know. She's a holy grail. (laughs) She is. Yeah, she is, yeah. She's like the MacGuffin, you know. And it's kind of just a bit, like I'm now ready for her to be a character. Like I want to see her world. I want to see her point of view. 
But instead, she's just like this thing that just mm. keeps being dangled in front of June to drive yeah. the action. I think that's because no one can get to her. I think she is yeah. this kind of, you know, mysterious Hannah, you know, that just unknowable at the moment because there's no access to her is, is the way I read it, but I agree. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mm. And I think that really worked so far for all of the previous <laughs> seasons, you know, like we needed to see that from June's point of view, yeah. the fact that she couldn't see her daughter, the fact that she didn't know where she was and we had to feel that separation. But it's just, you know, like as the show goes on, like I realised I'm now ready to see more of Hannah. I don't want her to keep being this thing that, um, Look, I don't, I don't want to say meaningless, but that's kind of how it's going for me. And um, so I really appreciated getting a glimpse of her in this episode and it has just made me want to see like a whole lot more of what the experience is going to be like for her. But I am very nervous though because June has put the pressure on Twello and she's put the pressure on Lawrence. And Fiona, you said earlier that like this episode ends on a hopeful note but I'm freaking out about that. Oh, I was being... I'm freaking out. I was being facetious. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's that scene where they see the video that sets off all these emotions and, of course, they have that epic fight that we spoke about. Um, and then she breaks down and repeats, you know, almost line for line the dialogue of the regret and feeling that she abandoned Hannah, the one that had us all in tears last year. You know, just like I was never supposed to leave her. That, uh, yeah, it was just wrenching that scene. Yes, it's the one where June's finally leaving Gilead and she's on the boat. But that was when she had to reckon with the fact that she was leaving Hannah behind. Mm. I remember that. Like I was such a mess that episode. It was full on. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke through tears. We spoke through tears, yeah. And that's echoed in this scene. She's, she cannot let that go, that guilt of having left little baby Hannah, who is now you 12-year-old soon-to-be child bride Hannah. Tough scene. Mm. But then we flick to a scene of hope, allegedly. Uh, Nick and Joe still walking around New Bethlehem, <laughs> kicking the tyres, pointing out their, picking their houses. Like, remember the Washington scene where Serena was walking around the house and, yeah, mm. looking at the family that, whose remnants were still there? But, yeah, I hope they've cleaned out these houses. So. <laughs> Joseph is talking about his 400-point plan to get there, um, <laughs> lifting sanctions and suggesting that in the next year or two, June and Nicole could be living there. I wondered, because I did notice the protesters kind of dropped off a bit across the episode. Like they, they start really strong and Nicole can't sleep and then then they're like when Tuella's there, you can't hear any of them and like it does seem to drop off. And I wondered, is there a connection with Serena getting out of the detention centre, like the fact that she's now back with the wheelers? Like were the protesters some of the fundamentalists I don't know with someone makes a comment at some point that they that they're coming more frequently now yeah. which suggests yeah. that you know sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not so I mm. guess it would make sense that if Twell is there later in the episode they're not around at that point doesn't mean they're necessarily easing off yeah, yeah. they're off harassing someone else yeah that's <laughs> <True>. having breakfast <laughs> or taking their kids to school or something going to work refueling <laughs> refueling that almighty ute pickup truck fiona we don't have utes in canada <laughs> apologies um yes yeah so Tuila does pop by saying they will do he he now he gets it that he has to give june something in order to keep her and if it's an existential issue for America, fine. They'll cough up Hannah and they'll do what they can to get her. So, yeah, finally the penny drops. 
He's still very ambiguous about what he's going to get her. Even that phone call yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. he doesn't say they're going to get Hannah at all and that's just how June interprets it. So I do wonder yeah. if there's going to be a big letdown in the next next episode. That's um, what I'm expecting. Yeah, <laughs> when June and Luke realise that what they thought was going to happen is not what Tuello thinks is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like, when they were hopping around the kitchen going like, they're going to get Hannah, they're going to get Hannah, I was like, am I missing something? Are they are they just like, you know, so desperate for this to happen that that's what they're believing is going to happen? Like, it's not yeah. going to be that easy. Come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to get Hannah quite yet. I'm kind of very nervous about what's going to happen next because June has put pressure on Lawrence and she's put pressure on Twello. And I think both of these men are now very energized and motivated to, (laughs) to do what, to do what she wants. But in one way she should have just backed one horse and she hasn't, she's put pressure on two. And so now I'm afraid of how their plans are going to intersect and Mm. if they're going to be at odds with each other. So I, um, I really wish I could have been as thrilled as June was at the end of this, but (laughs) alas, no. And I, my advice to Tawella would be call afterwards, (laughs) like, you know, like do it and then make the phone call mate. But, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of hope raised in Canada. You've got Luke saying he loves you. I love you. I can love my twelve. <laughs> hope is high at the uh, at the Osborne um, bank hole household. <laughs> yeah, and the other scene we've skipped over is when Serena's at the wheelers being told oh my by gosh, yes. Ryan, you may speak, oh. and she gets to reunite with Noah. It's a um, you know wonderful reunion, but it is on Wheeler's soil. So Noah gets his hug. Yes, Noah gets his yeah. hug. And Serena can start plotting her revenge against the wheelers, just as uh, June suggested she do. Yeah, she does suck it up and the tension on her hands in (laughs) (laughs) being told uh, she's not a fit mother by Alanis is a lot. Anyway, then we're at the end. Uh, June's going out for apples. And, yes, as we've deduced, it's allegedly a happy ending. We're not so sure. We've been fooled before, handmaids. (laughs) We know where this is going. No, we don't, but we, uh, we know it's no, not we going don't. where you think. No, we really don't. I just thought, I thought we just got given so much information in this episode and I still have no idea what the next two episodes are going to hold. Yeah. It is two, right? It is. A, we just have it two It is left. only two episodes left, yes. And yes. so we didn't mm. see Lydia or Janine this episode, so presumably they will come back in the next mm. two. I assume Serena's storyline's not done, so we might see a bit more of her in the next yeah. two. We did get that in shot of Hannah. I forgot to say that she's gardening. She's looking up like June was. It's the gorgeous mirroring, um, you know, Mm. of the nighttime gardening. So there's, you know, June still... There's June still in her. I gotta say, I I I held it together all episode, even through June's little breakdown. But when it got to Hannah at the end, (laughs) I couldn't. Oh, it was so sad. Yeah. I think that's when I kind of let out all that kind of cathartic energy from from June's kind of guilt speech in the middle of the episode. That was really sad. But also it's like diving straight into what's coming because she's looking up at the sky and you hear mm. the the jets of what we assume is going to be whatever military action is about to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think next episode's going to pick up probably straight where this episode leaves off. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that theme, that music always gets me. <laughs> I had a little cry too. Um, but that end drone shot, um, like the Eye of God shot they do, where it sort of formed an arrow um, mm. and the interlocking news. What's that about? Yeah, I was What's wondering that if that, that had some kind of meaning. Yeah. But 
I, I didn't know. Yeah. No, same. <laughs> I was thinking, was that like <laughs> University of Utah? I don't know. I was going down a hole like what did, what could two U's mean? But um, yeah, anyway, I'll just calm down. I, I saw an arrow in the, in the triangle there anyway. I'm like, here she is. The shot of Hannah and her mirroring June a little bit was a, was a little bit of hope for me in that ending. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think this is the end and they're going to get Hannah back and Joseph's going to fix Gilead and everything's going to be great because we do have two episodes and a whole season left. So mm. can you believe it? Any other predictions? Nope. <laughs> Crickets. I'm shaking my head. Yeah, no. <laughs> Dunno. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than picking up right on that raid. Yeah, I agree with you there. The way so much emphasis this episode was, was placed on Lawrence and his position and he being the key instigator of New Bethlehem, just makes me think he's not going to be around. I don't know. <laughs> like, is it just me? Like, you alluded to it before, Sana, but the fact that, you know, like it, the success of New Bethlehem rests on him convincing people and I don't know. <laughs> was Ooh, that would be so big. So much pressure there. And the- oh, my goodness. Does that mean Nick will rise to the top? <laughs> is that what we're looking at? Oh, my goodness. I hadn't thought I about it. It just I feels that, that, that it, there were lots of allusions to, like June said, do you really think you can do it or you can pull this off? There was a line like that. And when he said, you know, I have to, it's either this or take the same fate as Eleanor, not suggesting that he would take that fate. but No, that's a good point. And also Washington is the centre of power, is it not? And they're like, well, who, who's there now? And the Mackenzies of the world wouldn't fancy this. Mm. I don't know. It's just he's not the he's not at the top of the pyramid yet. Yeah, Mackenzie was a big looming threat at the th- start of the season yeah. and we haven't seen him since then. So mm. there could mm. be a a moment when he comes back. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that would be quite shocking. It would be quite shocking. Fun fact, Bradley Whitford actually directs the next episode. He directs episode nine. Yeah. What? That's so cool. So who knows? We'll see. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I have to think about this now. Yeah, me too. I was thinking that they were riding high on power. Like he's never been more powerful. I just thought, wow, he's actually managed to engineer his way to pretty much the top. Like, yeah. But he hates Gilead. He hates what it's become. He feels terrible about it. So he's, mm. yeah, he's tying his fate to the success of New Bethlehem and reforming the place. And if we're all feeling very skeptical about his ability to actually carry out that, then yeah, Fiona, maybe you're right. He will not be around as things don't play out oh my as he hoped. I don't know. Well... <laughs> That's oh my just, gosh! It's just a thought there, sitting there. <laughs> I can't, I can't, can't shed it. I feel like they have to have some shocking loss, mm. you know, this season or at some point. Like you, you gotta, you gotta have a big plot twist where mm. you lose a character. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I like surprised if it does. <laughs> And I will, you will hear me saying, call it. (laughs) But anyway, my predictions are usually terrible. So what do I know? Nothing. All right. Look, there is literally only one way to find out. And thank you for listening. We hope that helped. We're off to go and buy those bruised apples. (laughs) Nicole still needs them. (laughs) But, yeah, we are now anxiously awaiting episode nine, which premieres at SBS On Demand on Wednesday and screens on SBS on Thursday. So thank you to my co-hosts, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hambly and Haiti Island. And thank you for listening. Can't wait to see what you make of this one. And reach out to us on Twitter when you have collected your thoughts. Uh, you can find me at anything but Fifi. And Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. Haiti, what about you? At Haiti Island. And Natalie, where are you on Twitter? At Natalie Hambly. 
And don't forget to use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. There's some great theories coming through on the Twitter. Anyone got any good tweets you want to call out? There are some really great theories coming through. I'm really enjoying them. Mm. One from Chloe Christopher Cross. She had a wonderful thread, actually, on what motherhood actually means for the wives of Gilead. So I recommend checking that one out. And there were other people sort of echoing what you said last week, Fiona, about that line, do you understand me? Like that resonated with a whole bunch of viewers as well. Yeah, someone mentioned, um, you know, surely, you know, they don't value handmaids that much, but they're fertile women and surely you wouldn't want to discard of them so easily. And I actually had the same thought. That's another confusing point for me. You know, why would they let go of of a functioning womb like that? Yeah, there, there is a lot going on in the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. So, yeah, do get in there. There's some really good conversations and um, back and forths happening in there that we observe. We don't always weigh in. But, <laughs> yeah, talk amongst yourselves. It's great. And, yeah, make sure you use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. And while we have you, feel free to leave um, a review. There's some lovely reviews coming in too. Thank you. Um, and give us a rating on your podcast app. It does help other people who may be watching Handmaids to find the show. And since we do have a wait now until the next episode of Handmaid's Tale drops, we do like to give some rec- recommendations of what else you can watch at SBS On Demand as you wait. I've got one because of the mention of Gorbachev this week. We've got a great Gorbachev documentary called Gorbachev Heaven. It's an hour-long doc um, about the former leader who recently passed away, of course. It's an interview, but it's a chat um, and he's reflecting on his uh, career and the highs and lows of being the great reformer you know, looking at the personal toll, the aftermath. And, like, there's a lot of weighty subjects, but there's a, there's a lightness to it as well. You know, there's folk songs and conversations go off in tangents and lots of food and drink. So, yeah, it's a really good one um, to catch, and that's called Gorbachev Heaven. So go watch that at SBS On Demand. Nice. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me, I'm not your property. Can we get out of here? Yeah, okay.